So it was a little over a month ago, we had the inspection for our new church building. And as is required, whenever you buy a space, a house, a building, you have to have this inspection. And so uh, because it's a large space, 15,000 square feet, they had two different inspectors that spent about six or seven hours going through every nook and cranny, testing out all the toilets and the light switches and the electrical and the plumbing and the walls and the roof and every space. And I was there for the entire process. I didn't follow them into every part of the building. But I was in one of the kitchens for one conversation that I'll never forget. So we're in the kitchen. One of the inspectors popped open a panel. And literally, as he popped open the panel, like he jumped back. Now, inspectors don't usually jump back because they've usually seen everything and kind of been there and done that. So when the inspector jumps back, like you pay attention. And he made a big deal to point this out. So he gathered everybody who was in the room. He's like, hey, come, come here. Check this out. And he says, see that right there? He opens the panel up. He goes, if you touch that, you will die. And I'm like, eyes get big. Like, right? Duly noted, right? You don't, don't touch that one. He's like, it's really rare these days in a building to see that thing not locked up and covered up like with some serious safety precautions. He's like, if you touch that, you will die. So we're going to lock it up from going forward here. Just so you're good. And then he went on with the rest of the inspection. But don't you all know that there's a time and a place for a solemn warning? You know that as a parent? You know that as a teacher, maybe? as a pastor, like there's a time and a place for a solemn warning. You don't want to waste those on the lesser things, on the smaller things, but there's a time when you need to stop and look somebody in the eye and say, hey, pay attention to this. Right? If you touch this, you will, you will die. You may want to pay attention there. There's a time and a place for a solemn warning. So tonight, as we open up the scriptures, we, we come to one of those places. And I don't think Paul, the apostle, throws these words around lightly, but there's a time and a place to hear the warning that he gives us tonight. So if you have a Bible, open up tonight to Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. If you've been with us, we've been going through the book of Colossians this fall. This letter that the Apostle Paul uh, wrote to this ancient community in Colossae. We've gone through his introduction. Beautiful words. He has this Christ poem in the beginning of Colossians 1 where he extols the, the person and work of Jesus and declares his desire that Jesus Christ would be preeminent in our lives, because he is preeminent over all things visible and invisible in heaven and earth. But Paul's poetry is over, his introduction is over, and now he's got some words of warning. And it's serious, and it's a little sober-minded. It's one of those things that should make us maybe pay attention to wake up. If you've been napping so far tonight, pay attention now. Lean in. Hear what God would say to you. This is not a joke. This is not to be treated lightly. This is the equivalent of, if you touch this, you will die. What does Paul say? 
Colossians 2, 6, he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made a life together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So as Paul gives us this word, he gets past the opening introduction. He gives this word of warning, and tonight it kind of comes in two parts. It comes both in, in, in terms of an affirmation and an admonition. So it's a call toward something and a call away from something. Something significant to hold on to and something significant to avoid. So I'm going to start with the affirmation, and then we'll move into the admonition and the warning that he has regarding his word of affirmation. So here, here's the affirmation at the beginning. Here's what Paul calls them. Here's what Paul calls us to. He is calling us to make Jesus your full-time, whole-life love. His call and his desire for you is to make Jesus your full-time, whole-life love. For some, this metaphor may sound a little crass. But Jesus is looking for a marriage partner, not a one-night stand. He's inviting you into a relationship for all of your days, not just a one-time fling. Verse 6, verse 7 says it so well. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in Him. The idea that you would walk with Him. The idea that you would live with Him. The idea that you would actually make this a part of every part of your day. All the way through. And some people put an emphasis on making a decision for Christ. And I am all for making a decision for Christ, right? Whether it's raising a hand or praying a prayer or inviting Jesus into your heart, all well and good. But Jesus is not just making converts. He's making disciples. So as you received him, believed in him, responded to his love, now Paul says, great, yes, very good. But here's the call. Keep walking in him. Keep following him. Keep loving him. 
keep, and then he uses these other analogies here. Walk with Jesus. Walking involves companionship. Walking involves partnership. Walking encompasses step by step, day by day, over a long period of time. And we're called to this long obedience in the same direction as you receive Jesus. And maybe you can remember in your mind's eye when you received him by faith. For me, I was eight years old and I prayed with my dad in my bed before I went to sleep one night. And now I've been figuring out for these last 30-some years how to walk in him. Paul uses this imagery. This is what it means. He, the call is to be rooted like a tree. He says, be, be rooted in Christ. To be rooted in Jesus. To be planted in him. To be like the Psalm 1 man, the Psalm 1 woman, planted by the rivers of water that you would bear fruit in its season, that your leaves would not wither, and whatever you do would prosper. This is the flourishing life, a life that is rooted and grounded in Jesus, planted like a tree. The call, he mixes metaphors. It's also to be built up like a house, dirt, foundation, brick by brick, mortar and stone upon stone built up in Jesus. And then he changes the metaphor again and established like a legal document, line by line, argument by argument. There's a whole lot of mixed metaphors that are happening here, right? Rooted like a tree, built up like a house, established like a legal document, rooted, built, established in Jesus, that you would figure out what it means to not only say, yes, I believe in Jesus, he's forgiven me of my sins, I'm going to heaven when I die, but also figuring out that right now, today, in this place, in this space, in your life, with your relationships, in this community, I am then going to walk in him. He is going to be my full-time, whole life, love. When the world thinks of Christians, American Christians these days, they don't see a lot of people who are walking with Jesus in this way. Full time. Whole life. Love. Walk in Him. Because, as Paul says, Jesus is sufficient for everything that you need as you have received Christ Jesus. So, walk in Him. Sounds easy. <laughs> it's not. Especially in our cultural moment. And the words that then Paul shifts to, he gives the affirmation, but then he gives the warning because he knows that to do that is going to you're going to experience conflict. You're going to experience difficulty. You're going to experience barriers and competition to a full-time whole life love with Jesus, walking with him, rooted, grounded, and established in your faith. There's going to be opposition to this. And here's his warning. Here's his sober, serious warning. Verse 8, he says, Then see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. That's the warning. See to it. Some translate that. Be on your guard. 
Others translate that, hey, look out, beware, watch out, take heed, take note, be on the lookout. Red flags, flares in the air, neon signs, whatever it takes to wake us up from our slumber to live a life that is rooted and grounded in Jesus and the sufficiency of his work for us, you must be careful. Be on your guard. See to it that you are not being taken captive in a variety of ways. To avoid the the language here is that of being snatched. Someone sneaking up and grabbing you. One of the fun things about raising teenagers is to sit down with your kids and have them tell the stories about what they remember when they were little. So we do that often. Sometimes it's late at night. We're just telling stories in the Jones household. One of the favorite classic I remember Jones stories is my daughters. They remember when they were young and Callie would bring them to the grocery store. Like back in the day when they were young enough to fit into the grocery cart. And after they would do their shopping, uh, she would bring them then back out to the car to unload groceries into the back of the Suburban or the minivan, whatever we had back then. And again, many of these encounters I wasn't there for, so I'm hearing the stories like for the first time. But like, I remember we would go to the grocery store and mom trained us. And she would put the grocery cart between the car and her, and she trained the girls to look out for anyone who would come and grab her. I'm like, you trained? The, like, this is like age four, five, six. Like, you trained the kids to look out for someone to come and grab mom? Yep. She also taught them how to kick out the taillights of a car if they were ever thrown into a trunk. I'm like, holy cow. Wow. Like thorough training, right? Why? Be on your guard. Didn't want anyone, she'd heard the story, she'd watched too much Dateline, she'd seen the movies, did not want someone to come and grab someone and snatch them away, right? Paul's in the same vein, not just for a kidnapper or a mom napper, but he's concerned with those that would come and snatch those who follow Jesus. And he cares for this community. And he cares for the followers of Jesus. And he wants every single person in their community to walk with Jesus, to come into faith and walk by faith. Because the way in is the way on. Rooted and grounded in the person of Jesus. But Paul gives wisdom here. Paul, the apostle, has been around the block a time or two. He has walked with people who are following Jesus, and he knows, because he's heard the stories and he's seen it firsthand, and he knows that at this particular time, in this particular place, in this particular city, in this particular church, he knows that there are barriers to the rooting, grounding work of Jesus. To use a different language, he knows that there are counter-formational forces at work in the life of someone who wants to be formed by Jesus. And he names them. It was true in first century Colossae. It's true in 2022 Thurston County. Paul says, see to it. Be on your guard. Don't be taken captive. By what? So we'll just run... We'll run through these things that were true for them, and then maybe we'll see what it may mean for us. 
He says, philosophy, go ahead and put them all up. Philosophy, empty deceit, human tradition, elemental spirits of the world. And maybe this will help explain it a little bit more. We all live our day-to-day trying to figure out what is the good life. What's the good life? Like every single human being, every single person desires fulfillment and freedom. Right? That's what we want when we wake up in the morning. Now we may not think about these things. We're just going to work. We're just going to school. We're just doing our thing. But deep down, every human being wants to pursue a version of the good life. And in that, we want fulfillment and freedom. So we're asking the question, not usually explicitly, but usually to ourselves. What brings me fulfillment? What will make me free? And Paul isn't bashful and he doesn't dance around it. This is the drumbeat that he will beat this entire letter. Jesus Christ is Lord is his mantra. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Meaning, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is King and Lord over all things visible and invisible. And your freedom and your fulfillment are found in Him. That's what Paul says. To Him, freedom and fulfillment are found in a life submitted to Jesus, with Jesus, in Jesus, to Jesus, because of who He is and because of what He's done. Jesus is the end of our fulfillment and our freedom, and he is worth it. But again, he's found that there are other messages that try to sell you on what will bring you freedom and what will bring you fulfillment. Now next week, we'll discover there's, there's a, like a Jesus plus message going on in the church. Jesus is great and all, but you need more. Jesus plus. Jesus plus legalism. Jesus plus a certain experience. Jesus plus. Jesus really isn't enough. You need more. But before he gets to the Jesus plus part, it's another way he describes it here as a minus Jesus experience. There's Jesus plus and there's minus Jesus, meaning whatever makes you think that you need less of Jesus is a threat as well. And he names these things. Philosophy. Now, just to be clear, when Paul says, hey, be careful of philosophy, he is not addressing the general academic discipline of philosophy. Right? He's not saying, well, if you read Plato or Aristotle or Kant or Nietzsche, you're going to go to hell. He's not trying to say that you can't read philosophy. Read philosophy, please. This is not like you're in a philosophy class. Well, the Bible says I can't do philosophy. No, learn. This is not some anti-academia book burning. But, in some ways, it's a play on words. The word philosophy means love of wisdom. And he's going after this idea of what is it that you are engaging on how you find wisdom. How do you make sense of life? Is God at the heartbeat of how you make sense of life in this world? Do you make sense of life with God or without him? And there's a path that is built on the traditions of men, on the wisdom of humanity, and not the wisdom of God. He says, be careful. Empty deceit, vain delusions, 
In every culture, there are narratives and storylines intentionally trying to steer people away from what is true. Human tradition. It's the extras that humanity has tacked on to make sense of life in the world. The elemental spirits of the world. Literally the stoicheia. It's a term that Paul uses to describe the little g, gods of the nation, the, 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 the patron protectors that each of these regions had as they saw them overseeing their lives and their worlds. Kind of the intermingling of spiritual beings as they came to impact a region or a local area. If you couldn't tell, some discernment is needed. This is not just run away, hide, disengage from culture. But this is be very careful and wise as to how you make sense of life in your world. A few other Bible translations kind of translate this section this way. I want to give you a couple of those. This is from the Amplified Bible. See to it that no one carries you off as spoil or makes you yourselves captive by his so-called philosophy and intellectualism and vain deceits idle fancies and plain nonsense, following human tradition, men's ideas of the material rather than the spiritual world, just crude notions following the rudimentary and elemental teachings of the universe and disregarding the teachings of Christ the Messiah. That's why they call it the Amplified Bible. Or Barclay's translation, beware lest there will be anyone who will carry you off as his spoil by insisting on the necessity of a so-called philosophy, which is in fact an empty delusion, a philosophy which has been handed down by human tradition and which is concerned with the elements of this world and not with Christ. Now, we could spend a little time tonight trying to pin down, so what was the exact philosophy? What was the human tradition? What was the vain delusion that was going on in Colossae that made them somehow move away from Jesus? And that could be fun for history. Here's where I'm more concerned. What are they now? What's going on in our life? What's going on in our day? That would lead us to say, I don't need Jesus. Jesus doesn't need to be preeminent. I need less of him. I need more of these things. And again, I'm running out of time. So I could, I could probably talk about this for another hour. And maybe there's another time and place to do so. But I want to name some names that probably will make all of us a little upset. Fair enough? Okay. I think there's some naturalism at play. So here's the definition of naturalism, is that all knowledge of the universe falls within the boundary of scientific investigation. So if you want to know what's really true, you can only find it through the scientific method. And I'm by no means anti-science. But if you have a worldview and an approach to wisdom and life that says the only thing that is true and real is that which can be replicated in a laboratory using the five senses, it falls woefully short of being able to explain the world as it is. 
As I heard someone say this week, our scientists have become our priests. And again, I'm not anti-science. I think the scientific method in the scientific world pairs beautifully with faith in Jesus. But if you have an, uh, an approach to life that says basically the only way I can explain life and fulfillment and meaning and purpose is only through natural means, it falls short and will lead you away from faith. How about secularism? One author talks about expressive individualism. What does that mean? It means that you don't have to look beyond anyone but yourself to find answers to the big questions of life. Some have called it exclusive, self-sufficient humanism. Meaning, freedom, freedom is found when you get freedom from anything outside of yourself. This is the world that we live in. Who defines what's true? Who defines meaning? Who defines purpose? Me. And again, I would encourage you, if you want to read more on this, there's a great book by Carl Truman called Strange New World, where he traces how we've gotten where we are and why expressive individualism has become just the way that this generation lives. It's the idea that anybody can believe anything, but no one can believe that they have the one true thing. Anybody can believe whatever you want, just don't say it's the only one true thing. Because what defines what is true and real is me. Expressive individualism. Materialism. In terms of fulfillment and freedom, materialism says, I am what I have. So the more that you have, the more that you consume, the better you are. And we all swim in this water. We're so materialistic, we don't even think twice about it. Have I offended you yet? Christian nationalism. I'll just keep going. Christian nationalism is the fusion of a distinctive, exclusive Christian identity with a particular brand of American politics. In terms of fulfillment and freedom, is found when my party has power and the United States becomes synonymous with the kingdom of God. But we serve a risen Messiah from the Middle East who is redeeming from every tongue, tribe, and nation a people to himself. This doesn't mean you can't be patriotic. It doesn't mean you can't love our country. I'm so glad I'm an American. But there has been something brewing in our country recently in the last decade that has fused the kingdom of God with the United States of America. 
and we think that freedom and fulfillment is found when my party is in power and I make the country look the way I want it to. And we've lost even the idea of being exiles Potluck spirituality, which means a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I lived in the Northeast Olympia neighborhood where we're moving our church building to. I've lived there for over a decade. It's spirituality without the oppressive dogma of Christianity. So let's take a little Hinduism, a little Buddhism, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Don't tell me that one thing is true because it's all kind of true and we'll piece it together. And there are more. Naturalism, secularism, expressive individualism, materialism, Christian nationalism, potluck spirituality. And here's what's happening. It comes at us. 24-7. It's Netflix, it's YouTube, it's social media, it's cable news discipleship. It's full-time, on your phones, in your face. And for most of us, it's not optional. It's coming all the time. And maybe you've heard this story before, but David Foster Wallace gave a commencement speech 2005 at Kenyon College, and he told this little story. He opened by saying, there are these two young fish swimming, and as they're swimming, they bump into an older fish. The older fish nods at them and says, morning boys, how's the water? And the two young fish pass by him, swim on for a little bit. One fish looks to the other fish and says, what the hell is water? You know, ha, 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 that's witty, right? That's clever, that's funny. They're fish swimming in water, being asked, how's the water? I'm like, what's water? It's just the stuff that they're in. It's the air we breathe. It's the water we swim in. I'm just telling you, like this is the stuff of our life. And other things too. And this is not about the right. This is not about the left. But there are philosophies and traditions and ways of seeing self, life, God, and the world. Paul says, again, it was a different story back then. Same thing though applies now. See to it that no one takes you captive and leads you to believe that you need Jesus less and that you need these things instead. Because Jesus is enough and he is sufficient. And I'll end with just rereading again. So Paul, he, he gives that call to have that that full-time, whole-life 
love with Jesus. And then he warns him and says, hey, there will be things that will come after you that will pull you away from that. And then he goes on to give the feast of the gospel to say, no, but this is true about Jesus. If you go to the last, yeah, I'll just read it here. He says, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The fullness of God came to dwell in human form in Jesus. And and you then, by faith in him, you've been filled with him. So the fullness of God in Jesus, the fullness of Jesus in you. You don't need those things. He's the head of all rule and authority. Like, let's go to the top. Where's the top? It's not a political party. It's not a certain system. It's not a certain philosophical means. It's Jesus who has all rule and authority. In him, you were circumcised where it counts. You were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were then raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers, the authorities, put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Paul's giving us the feast of the gospel. He's reminding us we've already been given the feast. Go to the next slide. All the fullness of God, all fullness in him, all rule and authority, circumcised where it counts, buried in baptism, raised in resurrection, death to life, forgiven of sins, canceled the record of our debt, and all rulers disarmed and defeated. And, And as you hear that, maybe as your mind is engaging that, as your heart is stirred in that, Here's where the philosophies and the human traditions fall short. There is meaning in life. It's, this is not a meaningless joke. There is not randomness. There is order. There is purpose. There is an authority. It's Jesus. Jesus is the fullness of the divine. And the fullness of the divine has been given that by faith you may experience the fullness of God in us. There's a sacred order to this but it begins with God. It blows beyond expressive individualism and pulls our minds and our hearts into something greater and bigger and more transcendent than ourselves. Paul says, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. So walk in him, rooted, grounded, established in him with thanksgiving. And don't get swept away. This will require discernment. This will require conversation, not just assuming, not just turning off our brains and letting cable news tell us what is true. Or following just the patterns that are popular in this world. This is where we need each other. to speak the truth in love to each other. This is why I mourn, even in our own church, the polarization and the fracture that has left us less mature to have other diverse voices calling out places where we need to know, hey, maybe we've bought off on more philosophy of the word, 
of the world than the word of Jesus. But we are meant to be a gift to each other, to call each other to keep walking, rooted and grounded in him. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, this is complex. There's a lot of the stuff in the water we swim in that we maybe don't even realize or see or know. So help us, Lord Jesus, to stay in step with you. We want, Lord, that full-time, whole-life walk of love. And yet we're easily swayed. So Lord, I pray we would be a community that's willing to repent and turn, to come back to what is true, to come back to you, to allow each other to spur one another on to love and good deeds. But help us, Jesus, to have eyes of faith, but also eyes of wisdom, discernment. Would you bring us back to what is true in you? Lord, I pray for those that may even be here in the room tonight that have not yet come to experience the riches of the feast of Jesus. We'd be asking some really hard questions, making, trying to make sense of this world. Lord Jesus, may you draw them to you tonight. And Lord, may they be willing to make a decision of faith that would lead into a walk with you forever. So Holy Spirit, would you stir up our hearts? Would you renew our minds? Would you ground us in what is true? May we not give up in the pole. Thank you, Jesus, for this community. May you grow us up into maturity that we would walk with you for the long haul putting your name, your kingdom, your work, your authority. Oh, Jesus, you overall preeminent in our lives. I pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>